Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money m o r p h o s i s dot com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome, this is Crystal Arnold, your hostess and creator of the Money Wise Women Show and founder of Money More Success. Thank you for joining us today. It's an interesting time to be well, alive on the planet, and also to be talking about money, because it is such a taboo topic, and yet so desperately is calling our attention to what is, um, what is working well and what is not working in our economy, as we continue to see greater income inequality and, uh, and, and a lot of suffering for people internally about their personal relationship with money, and then many people uh, suffering because financially of the extractive economy, which continues to uh, extract value from our social fabric of our communities and as well as our environment. So I feel like we are in a time of much opportunity as I've been having some amazing conversations on this show over the last year and a half, it really gives me a lot of hope. A lot of people are looking at how can I best be of service? How can I align my money with my purpose and my values? And, and how can we move beyond uh, traditional uh, relationships of, of charity and philanthropy, which, um, often don't, uh, as they say, teach a man to fish instead of giving him fish is, is more effective or, or something along those lines. So I feel like there is a big shift happening and a lot of women are leading the way in a more um, you know, sharing, caring economy, which does circulate value in, in a really meaningful and satisfying way to people, whether they are philanthropists or not-for-profit social profit enterprises. Um, so there's just a lot happening, and I am so pleased to have uh, really a, a pioneer in, in this field of, uh, let's see, social enterprise and meaningful contribution and, and philanthropy. Uh, today's guest, uh, Kay Sandberg, has, has really a whole lot of, of background in these fields. And I was so pleased to meet her a few months ago. We both live uh, in the Ashland, Oregon area. And I went to one of her workshops and was just so amazed at the transformations that happened in that, um, in that day with people who attended. And, and uh, later we had a conversation together, uh, interviewed for the newspaper and just, uh, both of us are uh, share a similar purpose in bringing greater awareness around money. 
And so I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Kay Sandberg. She is the founder and director of Global Force for Healing, which is uh, a 501c3 social profit organization based here in Ashland, Oregon, uh, that really has global reach. So she has created and convenes the Compassionate Birth Network, teen partner projects in 11 countries in the developing world, including Africa, <clears throat> the Americas, and Asia. And uh, yeah, she'll tell us more about the importance of, of giving access to greater health, especially for moms and, and children and families. Um, she is also a former director of the Soul of Money Institute and, <clears throat> and Lynn Twist's colleague. And she works with the Pachamama Alliance in San Francisco. And this institute furthers the learnings of the award-winning book, The Soul of Money, which is by Lynn Twist, which I highly recommend everyone read if you haven't already. It's one of the most insightful, um, both spiritual and, uh, yeah, just transformative books that I've read about money. And, and so this institute, which Kay has been part of, uh, is really consults, coaches, and leads workshops related to this book and fundraising uh, from the heart. And so she has a couple of events coming up, which I'll tell you about right now before we talk with her. Um, let's see. It, so this very Saturday, um, the December 2nd from 9 to 1 here in Ashland is Making Peace with Money, part two of the workshop that I met her at. And uh, it's fine if you didn't attend the last one. We welcome you to that. And um, let's see, you can find her on Facebook for more information. Or also, I'll give you her email right now if you'd like to write that down. It's K-K-A-Y at Global Force for Healing. Org. And so if you're interested in the Making Peace with Money this Saturday at 9, uh, go ahead and email her for details. And then the second event is a special holiday presentation of the work of Global Force for Healing. This will be Sunday, December 10th, also in Ashland from 3 to 4.30. And she'll be giving us some exciting updates about um, work with the Compassionate Birth Network and all of the good that she is uh, catalyzing in the world. Um, so I am so pleased to have you with us today, Kay. And I'd love to begin just by hearing a little bit about what, uh, what excites you most about the work that you are doing. Hi, Crystal. It's such a joy to be with you. I um, I can hardly remember a time living in Ashland when I didn't know you, even though it was only two months ago that we met at Making Peace with Money Part One. Uh, and I think it's because we're kindred spirits. And um, also, after listening to several of uh, of your work and the work of all of the all of the august uh, women that have spoken. Um, I'm really honored and humbled to, to be here today uh, and really, really thrilled to talk about the Compassionate Birth Network, uh, uh, which is the flagship program, the main focus, 95% of which is global um, in Africa, Asia, and the Americas, uh, as well as to talk a little bit more about 
the nature of philanthropy and how that relates to uh, peace and uh, inner peace and then peace at a community level, which is what we'll be exploring uh, again this coming Saturday. So um, uh, I I think it'd be good just to share our vision and mission. Uh, And as Crystal, uh, as you mentioned, we're a 501c3 U.S. registered social profit organization. And um, our vision is a a world where all women have access to quality women-centered care, regardless of where they live, their level of education, uh, or financial status. And in this world, all babies are welcomed with love, mothers are treated with compassion and respect, and all communities are supported to thrive. And boiling our mission down into one sentence, uh, translating the vision, that way we're on a mission to end all preventable maternal and newborn deaths by supporting community-based, culturally respectful care and education in the communities where we have been invited to work and um, starting uh, actually with the Jungle Mamas program that I was the kind of the organizational brains, if you will, behind for the first five years in the Ecuadorian Amazon. Mm. So uh, I'm very excited that our network uh, of 15 projects in 11 countries, many of them um, operate grassroots birth centers uh, with largely women-run staff. Most of them uh, are focused on a midwifery model of care. Uh, When we say women-centered, we mean women really are the decision makers and have the uh, educational uh, access to information um, uh, in order to make choices as much as their bodies allow that those choices mm-hmm. um, to uh, you know re- to to de- take the kind of care that is loving, gentle, and free of obstetric violence. Um, so we've been able over the last uh, five years, um, really through the work of our local partners. Uh, to dramatically reduce the number of mothers who have died in childbirth or of complications after childbirth, and um, and to a, a great extent lesser than the, the drop in maternal mortality, um, but also to reduce the number of newborns, meaning babies born uh, within 28 days that have died um, as a result of poor prenatal and postpartum care. So it's very exciting to be part of that shift. Um, Today, more than 800 women and 8,000 newborns, babies within the first 28 days of life, die from uh, complications from pregnancy and and childbirth. And uh, 90% of those deaths are preventable. Oh, wow. uh, and then in terms of, you know, global inequality and in, and why we exist to, uh, to ensure women-centered care regardless of financial status, 99% of those deaths for mamas and babies occur in income-poor countries. Mm. So sub-Saharan Africa, uh, resource-poor areas of um, large countries like India, Indonesia, uh, where we have projects. Mm. And Haiti, wow. Haiti um, in, in Central America as well as Ecuador and South America. Wow, that is such important work. I am just, um, <clears throat> it really touches 
close to home for me as a mother. I have a four and a seven year old who are both birthed at home with a local midwife. Mm -hmm. And that, that was such an empowering experience to have that, you know, team of women who supported me and my family to be here at home. And, and it's such a vulnerable time for a woman and so much opportunity to find her strength and to, uh, I, I just, I really value what yeah. you're doing. How how long ago did you uh, start this project? Well, thank you, Crystal. Um, and we have wonderful resources here in the Rogue Valley, uh, the Ashland area where you and I live, uh, very talented heart-centered midwives um, and birth centers uh, and backup hospitals um, in, in the case of, you know, a high-risk pregnancy, for example, that um, are more and more accepting uh, uh the kind of care that midwifery provides. Um, I've been doing this for, this is year six, and um, it began, I, I began sort of the light bulb went off when, uh, as I mentioned, I was working with actually a retired Berkeley midwife to, uh, we were both affiliated with volunteers for the Pachamama Alliance in San Francisco at the time, uh, to to actually um ask and we started right with the needs assessment of the local Achuar, um, the uh, tribal communities in the southern Amazon, what did they most want to, again, we were invited in by them to begin with after Pachamama Alliance, uh, you know, cleared the path, so to speak, through the 10 years of, of, of good trusting relationships that had already been established. And the women's needs were the ones that had been neglected. So when uh, we asked, what would you most like to learn or do, women as well as some, some men, both um, brothers and fathers, also stepped in and said, we want to learn how to save lives because this is an area where um, you know, the only way in and out is uh, long, long walks, I mean, like days-long <laughs> canoe rides, or uh, when the the cloud cover and the rain uh, permit, a uh, small plane, very expensive, for, unaffordable for local people, a uh, small plane in and out of the rainforest. So uh, women were, were dying needlessly in childbirth because of not enough information and education around high-risk pregnancies, both, you know, those that might endanger the mother or um, result in the death of the baby. So that's, that's where I started. And then I started meeting other grassroots projects where, frankly, the founders were hanging on by their, by their goodwill, incredible resilience, and their fingernails to keep going um, with no succession plan, no plan for how to be truly sustainable, including financially. So uh, the light bulb, it's one of the few times in my life where I literally saw a light bulb over my head, was I'm not a midwife. Um, I know a lot about um, organizing people and convening uh, and getting things done as a, a practical visionary. So I said, well, what I can do really is to support uh, both the local um, uh, uh, w women that already were, were wanting to become leaders but didn't see a path forward in their own societies. And then on the U.S. side, the midwives, uh, including Margaret Love, the, the founder of Jungle Mamas, that were wanting to make a difference in a culturally sensitive, appropriate way. And, and I kept meeting people like that, both um, from the home communities, the local communities, and uh, for example, Nepal or Tibet, 
and and also the the change makers, the people who wanted to to support them in writing a new story of sustainability and survivability for their communities, their tribes. Hmm. So that's how the network idea got born. Wow. Oh, it's brilliant. I I feel like this is so connected to a larger transformation of, of what we value and placing more value on women and families and really seeing how that investment uh, gives us dividends throughout a person's life when they can have a healthy, uh, you know, empowering birth experience. Um, I'd love Absolutely. To, I'd love to hear some more like how your approaches differ from some of the more um, you've used the term the charity industrial complex and, and some of the recent, you know, criticisms of, of donating money in traditional ways to the developing world. And I'd love to hear how you are a leader in, in kind of a new paradigm way around philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, it, I, I believe that change happens uh, one by one, whether it's one individual uh, by individual or family or community, whatever the social uh, unit is. Um, and I think one way that we differ is that we remain at the grassroots um, and always are in service to what local people Wanted want for their communities the better life that they envision, and so it's it's a true spirit of collaboration and partnership, and I, that's very different than the sort of top down charity model where we uh, see a need we decide how to fill that need and to um, how many people are gonna you know basically look good for our investors meaning our donors uh, to impact. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that unless and until it violates the sanctity of the, the cultures um, and the souls of the people, frankly, that, um, that they are trying to impact. So there's a lot of goodwill that has gone with the, 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 the charity model. But ultimately, just metaphor um, that you use the, of the t- teaching a person to fish as opposed to fishing for them um, you know, we, what, when we're talking about sustainability, it's really uh, so local people that have the deep wisdom to know what they need uh, to, to be sustainable. And the charity model um, really operates from a very different paradigm. It's, you know, both the old paradigm of what has worked in the past, influenced by what their donors want them to do, uh, and, and or scaling and replicating to a degree that they're not in touch with the, the, the local impact, whether it, they're having indeed the impact they want to have or not. So, so it, you know, it's, um, uh, we have a board member that's actually doing very complimentary work in the U.S. through a wonderful fund. She's both a, a philanthropist funder and a midwife um, and has started a grassroots project called the Birth Justice Fund that works with underserved communities, women of color in the United States, especially Native American reservations where women are so marginalized, uh, birth is so dangerous, obstetric violence and violence against women, period, is so pervasive. Um, so uh, our work is, you know, is very much in tandem with the work of the Birth Justice Fund in the U.S., um, 
So let's see. What what more? Uh, um, I actually, I just want to define philanthropist, by the way, because I think we we can all really shift our self perception to being philanthropists, regardless of whether we write a check. Uh, or whether we're actually out there volunteering or for probably many of your listeners, both, uh, and for you both. Um, a philanthropist simply means a lover of humanity. And I believe, just as Lynn Twist believes uh, and many other folks believe, that um, everyone wants to make a difference with their lives. Everyone wants to be of service if they have a clear enough field, if you will, um, to be able to see the path forward. And that some of the so-called poorest people, income poorest people on earth, are also among the most generous in my experience. Uh, because the power of partnership, we say collaboration creates pr- prosperity and strengthens community. It's kind of a, a no-brainer for them because traditional societies absolutely rely on have relied on interdependence. So that is, that's the underpinning of their way of life. And so we have a lot to learn, I think, for the people that sometimes are called poor, which is a, another part of the, the old charity industrial complex that uh, doesn't work for, for me. Right. Right. Totally. That is a really important part is being so specific with our language and helping people, you know, really redefine some of these common terms. And like you said, so many people have good intentions and yet, um, and yet it can be hard to really align your money with your values and, and really find ways to, to invest or to uh, donate in, in really meaningful, impactful ways. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, in our consumer-oriented society versus uh, U.S. citizen or even, in my view, global citizen <laughs> uh, paradigm, uh, you know, if we really operated from a paradigm of we are citizens and philanthropists, re- re- regardless of a, a dollar amount or a, a number of hours donated, uh, quote-unquote donated um, as volunteers, um, I think it would be a whole different world um, versus allowing ourselves to be, uh, our power to be minimalized uh, or discounted by calling us consumers. Like we're the only thing, as if the only thing we're capable of doing were to buy something um, or, or to write a check uh, without aligning, as you said, our giving with our values. Right. Yes. And, and this sense of poverty, I really like to define it as coming from a disconnection, you know, that there's, uh, yeah, we can feel impoverished when we lack connection to, you know, the earth or connection with spiritual connection. We can feel impoverished when we're isolated in this American culture that's so do it on your own, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps all by yourself and, it really uh, discounts the fabric and the invisible web of connection that sustains us all um, through our relationships in, in the spiritual and natural world. What really brings value um, is, is often not measurable, right? It's this thing where people right. feel like they're not, 
they're only worth the number in their bank account. And so many people, um, you know, especially younger people, I'm 35 years old and a lot in, of people in my generation and, and younger in the millennials um, are just, you know, feeling disheartened. They're overburdened with college loan debt and they're seeing it hard to afford a house. And it's like the American dream is, as they told us as the manufactured, you know, vision of what success was just isn't possible for a lot of people in the younger generation. It, exactly. And that's why I think we, we need to um, honor the wisdom of indigenous and traditional peoples who just by definition know that we are all interconnected and without the ecology or the environment, we have no economy. Uh, you know, it's um, the extractive economy that, that you mentioned. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're at a point now in the, in the, if you can say, progression of our civilization, uh, world civilization, that, that that doesn't work anymore. And it probably never did, or it never worked for everyone. And we're at a point now where that isn't good enough. And the, the in, income disparity, wealth disparity, um, uh, that gap, that growing gap in the U.S. and globally uh, is I think it's just it's like the, uh, taking the pulse or it's a it's a an indicator of a very high temperature. We need help. We need healing <laughs> because it's um, it, what we're on a course that's unsustainable. And I my kids are 33 and 36, and I know exactly what you mean that they um, you know they're they're making a difference in their own ways and are are wonderful wonderful beings. But uh, in one case, there's a lot of college. Actually, in both cases now, because my daughter just finished graduate school, there's uh, there's debt uh, and and very much um, uh, less clear means to even by wanting to work hard in in their respective fields, uh, the access to actually making the money over time that will make that debt go away. <laughs> So I, I have great empathy for what you're talking about. And, um, again, these are all, in my view, markers of just how far off we are from where we need to be as, as a species, you know, um, and how much writing of our relationships with each other and with the natural world um, and with our own internal um, values we need, um, we need to be. Uh, so. Yeah, I could go on and on about that, but I, um, but I, you know, I, and I really, I know we're on the same page around that. And I, I just did, I did want to mention one resource, uh, Crystal, that I've come across. Um, one website called inequality.org, inequality.org, which uh, has really um, fantastic. This, uh, reliable statistics, reliable from what I've been able to check on income and wealth inequality, health disparities um, uh, in the U.S. and globally, and also black-white racial inequality in the U.S. Hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's a very sobering look in terms of, again, coming to terms with being real about 
um, where we are now and, and where shifts need to happen um, based on our, our, our spiritual lives, based on what we know is true, based on our values. You know, when um, after Mother Teresa had been working in Calcutta for many years, she was invited to open a Sisters of the Poor home in New York City. And um, as I recall the story, she was sitting on a, a park bench or maybe waiting for a bus at a bus stop. And, and she said, I, after that experience of just sitting there and watching people, I've never been in a more spiritually impoverished society. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that was, that was 30 years ago or more. So yeah. I feel like we're, you know, if anything, this is my personal view that if anything, we're even farther away from, uh, where we where we need to be in order to be um, uh, sustainable um, a, as a society as a world. Yeah, yeah, and and I really find that people's shame about their money situation and how taboo it is is really um, disempowering. It's really keeping people separated. So many people. Yes project that other people have it all together financially, that they're the only ones like faking it and fumbling along and struggling with either personal financial skills or ability to handle their debt. And so it's like this, I feel like um, many people's nervous systems are just on edge for a variety of reasons, but a lot of it is financial stress. Like they are living on the edge. And, you know, my degree was in international economics 10 years ago. And so I know that by looking at the numbers and as people can see on this inequality.org, that um, they are not the only ones uh, struggling. And there's so much relief when people can just, share about their situation and really um, dissolve the shame that, that keeps us apart and feeling like there is so much, um, yeah, wealth uh, <clears throat> in the hands of fewer and fewer people and, and inflation and these forces that is making life, especially here in the United States, uh, really expensive for people. And uh, yeah, curious what you have to say about the importance of having money conversations. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. And it, the shame uh, around money is irrespective uh, and the reluctance to therefore have the conversations, uh, real conversations that ultimately will, I believe are freeing for people uh, and, and that isolation that you're talking about or separation. But um, it's irrespective of how much money one has in the bank or one's net worth. Um, there have been a couple of articles uh, this fall in the New York Times, the Sunday Times, one of them uh, in September, uh, September 10th this year, Rich People's Secrets. Uh, just talk uh, the the author uh, Rachel Sherman talked with a, a whole bunch of uh, folks whose net worth and or uh, annual incomes were um, in the you know in the seven digits and talking about how they hide their wealth and they they use terms like we're comfortable. Um, and one woman said she, when um, Rachel, the, the interviewer, asked her, you know, I said, she said, I understand that, and I don't know how she determined this, but that your net worth is whatever it was, $2.5 million, and your household income, annual income, uh, is, is $250,000, and I, you told me you're a stay-at-home mom. And, and um, 
you know, and you are, uh, you know, you're kind of a rare bird. And as, just, as soon as she said, Rachel said this, the woman said, oh, I've basically I've never told anybody that information. I'm not going to tell anybody that information, you know. So mm-hmm. it is it is probably even more than sex, maybe the most taboo topic in our society, regardless of whether, you know, you've got a million dollars or uh, a thousand or, or uh, a trillion dollars. So, yeah. Um, so that I think that um, the getting around to what you and I both have said each in our own ways in the last couple minutes around people having the conversations. That's why we're doing, uh, at least why I feel committed on uh, behalf of not only my own organization, Global Force for Healing, uh, because I believe having the conversations is healing. That it's it's a form of of uh, very personal healing, meaning or defined as coming back to wholeness being whole again but um you know that that uh that conversations around us as long as there's a, a safety set up a, a trust relationship is built can be one of the most freeing uh things and um you know i just if i can interject one of my own money stories i um when I decided to just uh, go for it, I had drunk the Kool-Aid at the Soul of Money Institute, Pachamama Alliance. I saw how effective, empowered uh, organizations, both nonprofit and for-profit, uh, for the Soul of Money Institute is actually for-profit and non, uh, Pachamama Alliance nonprofit, how effective they could be. Um, that uh, it, I knew when I, I had just hospiced my mom's death, and hospice my dog's death both of my kids were launched and I just had a really kind of a a third birthing uh, experience if you will that birthed the global force for healing you know if not now then when if not me then whom and um, within two years of not making a salary I uh, you know was at a point where I had exhausted my credit cards. I, the little bit I had saved, um, I, I had liquidated that in order to follow this dream of starting a social profit venture, knowing that that, that that's not sustainable. Um, and so when I got to the point after, uh, about two years of doing this, I was living in Palo Alto. Um, I had been a single mom and so I, I leveraged the mortgage on my house it, it, to help pay for college and, and, you know, other children's experiences and, and for years at a time doing social profit work where I, I wasn't remunerated financially, which I don't necessarily recommend, by the way. Um, and um, I got to the point where um, I, it was sell my house or I, I couldn't even generate another alternative. And it was a time of, of the, probably the greatest anxiety I, I had ever had. Um, and it, it caused you know, a real sort of spiritual crisis for me, um, uh, you know, with my well-meaning friends all telling me, well, if you sell your little ticky-tacky house in Palo Alto, uh, even though you'll get good money for it because the market was just skyrocketing um, because there was no inventory, no, no homes to, to buy, um, uh, then you'll never come back to Palo Alto. You'll never be able to buy in the Bay Area again. And I, you know, and so it it really took a deep soul searching and um, a lot of um, working through anxiety and a reclaiming of my my own spiritual nature. Um, just taking the time to do that personal deep personal work 
that I saw that it, that uh, my my mortgage was actually a noose around my neck. It was not a it, staying in Palo Alto, hanging on again by my fingernails for another year, um, would only cause much more stress and unnecessary stress. So I um, I had wanted for ten years before actually to move to a smaller town that is very. Uh, less stress, very socially, politically, and spiritually aware, had been coming to Ashland with my daughter. My daughter's in theater um, for ever since she had been in high school. And it, all of a sudden, it was like, duh, <laughs> hey, if I sell my house, I can actually afford to buy a little house in Ashland, pay off my debt, uh, because the shame around debt, which I know a lot uh, of us carry, I, I think the latest stat I, I read said that the average American carries $15,000 of credit card debt alone, not to mention, you know, mortgage debt and other, other debt. Um, and it was um, just so liberating. And so for one or two days after actually selling my house, besides the huge sigh of relief, enormous relief and all the energy that it freed up, I had I went from a thousand dollars in my bank account, so three zeros behind the one, to six zeros behind the one. Wow! So a million dollars in my bank account. So for a couple of days until I paid off my, <laughs> I was a millionaire, and it just it just struck me then as it is now of just how ludicrous that is, right? How can somebody, I mean, seemingly overnight, it, obviously I, uh, you know, I'd had the house for a really long time and I'd done everything I could to hang on to it. Uh, so it wasn't literally overnight, but um, it wasn't like winning the lottery, for example. But, but I, it was so interesting just to half experience, while well, the other half of me is observing the experience of, of becoming an overnight millionaire. <laughs> Because I was I was fortunate enough to hang on to a little house in a neighborhood that is populated by people who all work for Google, um, uh, Yahoo, Facebook, Hewlett Packard. You know that that was the neighborhood that I I very fortunately lived in and had had property. So you know, I've, since I've come to Ashland, people have jokingly called me an economic refugee, another economic <laughs> refugee from the Bay Area, and because I work with people who are so-called income poor that live on a couple dollars a day in many cases, um, the idea uh, and and people who who literally are two of our our project partners now in Bangladesh and on the South Sudan Uganda border actually work with refugees who literally left with nothing uh and um so you know i think i'm a little i'm not offended personally by being called an economic refugee but we are so privileged in this society i'm so privileged that um that it's really incumbent upon me i have renewed commitment since i've moved here to actually help ensure that every day I make a difference in the lives of, of women, the most vulnerable people on the planet still are women and children. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing such a personal story and your own <clears throat> trials and tribulations and that transformative period. And uh, I, I just really appreciate that personal story. It really helps people to hear what others uh, go through financially. And, and like you said, there can be big 
often unexpected fluctuations. And so the more that we can really have a sense of our, what I call true wealth, which includes not only financial, but, you know, also our uh, inner wealth, environmental and relational wealth. That really helps people in those transition times because we aren't so attached to, you know, uh, feeling all of our security is is tied up in in our financial circumstance. Um, Exactly. Yes. And in fact, one of the activities that I I hope we'll have time for this Saturday, Crystal, speaking of true wealth, is uh, the asset inventory. So giving folks a chance to actually write down that much more detail around the assets that they have, their their capabilities, their educational background, their relationships and networks of people, their their church, their spiritual life, every aspect um, of their their the incredible blessing of having children or of being a granddaughter or a grandson of you know um, of, of wonderful grandparents that. You know, when I think of true wealth and, and the ability, as you did, um, to choose how your babies would be born in this world and, and mm-hmm. having the living in the kind of community where we have the, the expert loving midwifery model um, in action, um, yeah. which uh, is still, uh, a, you know, the, the, still a very small percentage of births in the United States. Uh, yeah. especially at our home births and, and also um, attended lovingly by midwives. Yeah. It's just, just amazing to me how, uh, yeah, how the birthing situation in this country is um, so, so medicalized, hospitalized, so many C-sections yeah. and all these things. Um, I'd like to take a quick one minute break here. And when we get back, I'd love to hear more Um, You know, it is uh, the holiday season and then the new year. And so um, maybe we could talk more about sufficiency, feelings of enoughness, specific practices you might recommend people for kind of dealing with the stress of uh, pressure to overspend in the holidays or or looking at a new year practice or or, uh, budgeting or approach that, that may be useful for people. Um, so we'll be back in just a minute. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Welcome back. We are here with Kay Sandberg, our guest today. <clears throat> and just wanted to get um, 
you know, a lot of people's stress goes up around the holiday season and increased expectations of consumerism. And one thing that um, came to me during that break was just, you know, wanting to buy experiences for people as gifts and um, not so much focus on the physical. <coughs> and curious, any advice or practices you have around uh, this time of year? Yeah, thank you. That, that's, that is one wonderful uh, practice. Um, or a, example, Crystal, buying people uh, experiences as gifts. Um, uh, another one, uh, actually, and I would recommend uh, if, some, if someone is moved to do it, to do it now in this little interim between Thanksgiving and before the and after Black Friday, Cyber Monday, etc., um, to go on a one-week spending fast or spending diet. Um, <clears throat> Uh, that that is a trans can be a transformative practice uh, that makes uh, made me anyway hyper vigilant around uh, how I use money. So it's simply that you decide what um, what is included um, for you in absolute essentials. So it might be you know bread, milk coffee, tea, for example, um, that, that you will buy or children's uh, granola bars, etc. So you decide in advance what is considered a bare necessity that you will still allow yourself to buy during this week, or some people even do this uh, money fast for a whole month. And then just um, calculate what you uh, you can either do you know in your journal uh, a list of what I didn't buy today. I think it's Socrates that said you know I love going to the marketplace because I I can look at all the things that I don't need and I'm not going to buy. Um, to just enjoy the experience without actually laying out any cash or a credit card for it, um, and then saving that money using let's say it ends up being $135 that you've saved by by avoiding that discretionary spending during the, the week, um, either to use it for holiday experiences for people or um, to actually, uh, if the people that you're buying for, I've done this um, several years, get with my son or daughter as adults and say, you know, what would you like, what organization, what social profit would you feel most moved to to give um, uh, to, and then may I make that donation in your in your honor, um, and uh, to use the money for that, uh, or to make a year end gift. So it, that's a classic example of reallocating our resources to in alignment with our values. Um, and then if we do that spending fast, in fact, I may do it myself for the next week again. Um, then it puts us more in right relationship, I think, with how we will spend money during the rest of the holidays. So that's, um, that's one practice. Another, I think, is to have the conversation like we're having today, Crystal, with, with people you love. Um, and this is always a, a, a conversation that brings our family closer together, even though there's sometimes conflict around it. And that is, for example, you know, what, how are we going to handle gifting? Being together is the biggest gift. So, you know, maybe it's my contributing to my daughter's uh, uh, flight from Atlanta so that we can spend Christmas together. 
or um, um, maybe it's uh, volunteering together at a food bank uh, and buying buying uh, toys for um, the the Santa Santa giveaway at that at that food bank. So hmm. whatever it is that's going to bring meaning back uh, to the holidays, not imposing it on. on anyone but but actually having the conversation so we know what it what would be aligned with their values um and um and i, I want to read a, a, my, one of my favorite eleanor roosevelt quotes since we get more joy out of giving to others we should put a great deal of thought into the happiness that we're able to give so i i believe that giving and receiving are the same thing they're not even two sides of the same hand or coin and that I, I know I personally get so much out of giving, but it's it's it doesn't it's not what we give, but it's the heart that we give from, and it's it's tuning into and being in communion with the person, uh, the being in front of us who's going to receive that gift. Um, and often, you know, the biggest gift is time. It's really spending quality time with each other. <clears throat> So true. Wow. That was really great. Great practical things that people can do. Um, I just love the, the power and the simplicity of what you're suggesting and, and really that caring for the other person that's so different than, you know, or, you know, a different kind of caring when you're actually, you know, seeing what they really would want to contribute money towards and, and really, you know, I, I think the helping people feel the sufficiency and the enoughness um, may yeah. be important to talk about for a moment because I know that was really sure. foundational to Lynn Twist's uh, book, The Soul of Money, and I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on, on what sufficiency and enoughness is, how people can experience that, and why it's so important. Yes. Great. Well, um, uh, sufficiency or um, uh, being enough um, as we are is really, I think, the, at, at the root of the, the new paradigm, the paradigm shift that we're talking about. And that means that just as we are, we are enough and we do enough. Um, and Lynn talks about the three truths about sufficiency or the three sort of surprising, shocking truths, partly, frankly, because they're so intuitive and simple. Uh, one of them is what we appreciate, appreciates. So if we put our attention and energy on, on what's really important, again, this, this implies knowing your values and what's important to you, then that will grow. And that enables us um, to let go, as Lynn says, when we let go of trying to get more of what we don't really need, it can free up oceans of energy to make a difference with what we do have. When we make a difference with what we have, it expands. Um, uh, and another way that, um, another truth of sufficiency or way that, that enoughness uh, can be shared is through collaboration. Uh, and we believe, and the soul of money is replete with examples of how collaboration creates prosperity and strengthens community. So, and we're we're doing our own experiments here in Ashland, and I'm sure all over, all over the world. There was one great example I, I saw a YouTube video last night um, 
of a, a, a program in L.A. Um, for, um, that co- collects um, what fruit, fruit that local uh, neighborhoods haven't or, or individual yards aren't going to use, whether it's apples, oranges, uh, et cetera, and then actually makes healthy juices out of them. And, uh, again, at the request of certain income uh, poorer uh, neighborhoods, uh, actually operates a, a free juice truck and wow. invites local people to to participate in making the juice if they want to. So, um, and it's just, it's a very, you know, clearly joyful thing to do where everybody feels good, the proverbial win-win-win. Um, and, and to me, that's an example of, of a kind of prosperity and strengthening of community that is so simple um, and yet profound. And they, you know, in the the video, it's only a couple minutes. They, um, the videographer interviews several people that that are regular um, visitors to the, the the juice truck, and just about what a difference that fresh fruit, which is so missing in most uh, income poor communities, access to fresh fruit and vegetables. What a difference that makes in their lives. Mm. Um, And then the the third uh, principle of sufficiency or enoughness is that money is like water. It's a currency, it's a current or a conduit for our actions and for our love, irrespective of whether that is a trickle or a gusher. and that money moving in the direction of our highest commitments, our values, nourishes our world and ourselves. So, um, you know, I think when I get into trouble, uh, frankly, is when I forget that I am enough and that I do enough. And for me, frankly, that's the root cause of um, of where I, I get thrown off track in terms of living a sufficient, happy life. Yeah, and yeah, and I also get trapped by the you know the the three myths of the toxic myths of scarcity, not enough, there isn't enough, uh, more is better, and that's just the way it is, which is the most toxic one, the you know deleterious because it it puts us at the effect of or as victims of uh, systems, and, you know that uh, where we'll never we'll never be able to to overcome. Um, uh, that's just the way it is. So that's not a, there's not enough, well, it's better. So let's, for me and mine, I've got to make sure that I get mine um, and uh, forget about the other people just to be really crass. Um, and then that's just the way it is. Um, and and so um, I, I also encourage folks to, to read the book and also soulofmoney.org is the the name of the uh, or is the URL rather for for the website for Soul of Money, um, which will have more insights and um, there's um, you can sign up for the newsletter and get a free um, sort of one uh, cliff notes if you will of the first six chapters of the book. Uh, and Lynn continues to do her amazing work as as probably the the, mo- the most transformative fundraiser I've ever experienced, um, uh, as well as, you know, the money coaching and everything that the Soul of Money Institute continues to do with Lynn's current colleagues. Hmm. Right. I'm thinking, oh, I wish we had another hour just to talk about fundraising approaches and how to talk about money. <laughs> There's a well, whole let, let's do show. that next year. Yeah, yes. let's, let's uh, do that next year for sure. 
Yeah. I'm curious what other uh, resources you'd like to recommend uh, to people. Sure. Thanks, Crystal. Um, well, in addition uh, to the URL I just gave for Soul of Money, uh, my current work, uh, Global Force for Healing, it's uh, www.globalforce, F-O-R-C-E, for healing.org. And um, uh, let's see, the Saturday workshop that we've already mentioned, if you happen to be in Ashland or want to uh, join us up here in this little uh, piece of heaven, uh, is 9 to 1. Uh, and if you if you go on face, my Facebook.com uh, slash Global Force for Healing page, You'll uh, have more information there, and you, a way to contact me, as Crystal said, or K-A-Y at globalforceforhealing.org. You're welcome to, to email me, um, uh, you know, especially before the, either the 2nd or the 10th when we're doing the special holiday update uh, for the Compassionate Birth Network here in town. And there's uh, our, we've recently totally redone our website, so it, you'll be able to read uh, uh, and be inspired by the 15 partner organizations that are doing amazing work in Asia, Africa, and the Americas, and find out a little bit more about what we have planned for 2018, uh, which is going to be an incredible year. And uh, on the 10th of December here in Ashland, I'm going to be talking more about some ways that Ashland will be directly uh, invited to interact with communities in Uganda and Bangladesh. Mm. Wow. Good work, Kay. I'm just so impressed and inspired by your love of humanity and that you are this force for change and that you've really taken these unique life experiences and skills and gifts that you have and are really applying them in ways that really um, creates greater impact around the world. And I just feel like I've, um, so many can, can learn through your approach, through how you embody what prosperity and generosity is. And I'm just honored to know you. Well, thank you, Crystal. Um, thank you so much. Right, right back at you. And, you know, what I am inspired by daily is the incredible resilience, resourcefulness, and love of our project partners. And, you know, because we work at the grassroots, we, we can tap in at any time to not only their inherent wisdom, but, um, but also the, their joy of living. And I just feel so incredibly privileged to be part of that work, to be called their partner. And, uh, you know, I have the easy job. They're, they're, they're the ones that are on the front lines every day um, doing what brings them joy, for sure, but, but in very challenging circumstances, you know, especially as I alluded to the, the two projects that are doing uh, mobile midwifery services and, uh, and other actual uh, medical services um, for uh, Muslim, the Rohingya Muslim community that uh, now is numbering 600,000 people in Bangladesh after, you know, being cleansed from, uh, booted out basically of Myanmar, and then also the South Sudanese wars um, over, over the years that have, again, made women and uh, children uh, even more vulnerable than they already were. Um, so they're they're my heroes and heroines, um, and their the creativity and and 
that kind of true wealth that they live with uh, every day um, that enables them to survive, we can all learn from and really bow to. Mm. Wow, that is so touching. I love this resilience and the way that networking and connecting uh, can really support what our fellow humans and ecosystems to respond better to changes. And I just really honor all the value that you um, continue to create and catalyze within these communities and all the lives that you've touched and the ways that this ripple out as people are feeling more empowered and really feel that mutual support of really quality relationships both between organizations and with individuals. And I just really, Mm. um, yeah, feel that it is so crucial to uplift one another and really continue to spotlight the work, as you say, of of many women, especially in this field of midwifery and family health care and and all the... the lives that they touch really bringing a better quality of, of life to so many people. So thank you so much for your good work, Kay. Mm, thank you, Crystal. Thank you so much for, for your love and partnership and um, for being on this journey together. I'm, I'm really honored to have been on your show today and look forward to even more co-creations in 2018. Yes, me too. I feel the same way. All right, everyone, thanks for listening in. Really hope that this has enriched your life and that you are inspired to change in your uh, own way in this coming year. And, And may all of the love and inspiration shared today ripple out to enrich and benefit your families and communities. Thank you so much, Kay, for joining us today. for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.